the idea that the brain can change its own structure and function through thought and activity is, I believe, the most important alteration in our view of the brain since we first sketched out its basic anatomy and the workings of its basic component, the neuron. And that's from Norman Deutsch's book, The Brain That Changes Itself. Welcome back to Season 10 of the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, where we connect the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning that's finally being taught in our schools today, and emotional intelligence training used in our modern workplaces for improved well-being, achievement, productivity, and results. Using what I saw as the missing link, the application of practical neuroscience. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning and launched this podcast five years ago with the goal of bringing all the leading experts together in one place to uncover the most current research that would bring back how the brain learns best by taking us all to new and often unimaginable heights. For today's episode number 302, and in keeping with our season theme of going back to the basics to take our learning to new heights, I'm going back to episode 133 from May of 2021 on applying neuroplasticity to your school or workplace. Now one look at this episode, and I can see why I'm calling these past episodes Neuroscience 101 where I wanted to introduce important concepts in neuroscience and how they relate to learning in real time as I was learning them myself. And the idea is that we're now going back and building on our understanding together, adding in anything new and relevant that I'm now calling Neuroscience 202. And I can see with this first episode that I barely scratched the surface of what neuroplasticity is and how we can use this fascinating concept to change our brain permanently. Just to review what we covered on episode 133, we learned an introduction to neuroplasticity and how this concept works in the brain when learning a new skill or thinking a certain way or feeling a certain emotion. We looked at how neuroplasticity helps us to create new habits and how we can use it to break habits that we don't want to keep. And then we looked at the controversy behind this topic and how two of the people we've interviewed ignored the naysayers and they built a powerful career with the early foundations of neuroplasticity. While I think this older episode is still important to review, I can now see that learning how to apply practical neuroscience to our daily lives really is cumulative. We learn one new concept that builds on another, and as we keep learning and studying together, new skills and levels of understanding are uncovered. It's like peeling back the layers of an onion and realizing there's more to uncover. Today, as we dive deeper into neuroplasticity, we'll cover what Norman Doidge wrote about in his book, The Brain That Changes Itself, about the idea that the brain can change its own structure and function through thought and activity, and then cover what exactly neuroplasticity means for us today so we can apply this fascinating concept to our life. 
So on today's episode number 302, on a deeper dive into applying neuroplasticity to learn something new, we'll cover what is neuroplasticity. It's the brain and nervous system's ability to change itself. We'll look at how to use this incredible feature of our nervous system for anything we want to learn, like getting rid of an emotion we don't want, building a new emotion, or learning a new skill. We'll look at the two steps that Stanford professor Dr. Andrew Huberman suggests that we understand in order to change our brain. We'll look at how others have changed the structure and function of their brain from Norma Deutsch's book that features Barbara Aerosmith-Young, and we met her on episode 132, as well as we'll look at Dr. Carolyn Leaf's five-step approach to changing your brain, just as a reminder. And then we'll look at some strategies that we can all use today to change our brain. And once we uncover what neuroplasticity actually means and how we can use it, we can marvel at the pathway neuroplasticity has taken over the years. From those early days when Barbara Aerosmith Young, she's actually from my hometown in Toronto, Canada, we mentioned in our interview that people actually picketed outside her presentation about the brain and learning due to their lack of understanding in those early days. And we can now honor those who spearheaded the way for our benefit. Dr. Norman Deutsch, the author of The Brain That Changes Itself, says that Barbara's story is truly heroic, on par with the achievements of Helen Keller. And Barbara, while in graduate school, came across the work of Mark Rosenzweig of the University of California, Berkeley. He was studying rats and was one of the first scientists to demonstrate neuroplasticity. And this fueled Barbara to not give up on this idea that the brain, in fact, could change. So what is neuroplasticity? When I looked at my first attempt to explain this concept two years ago, I wrote that neuroplasticity was the ability for our brain to rewire, grow, adapt, or change throughout a person's lifetime. And then I put a couple of YouTube videos that explain this concept. I remember the YouTube video by Sentis. It was one of the first lessons I ever had on neuroplasticity. It shows how the pathways in the brain are either strengthened or weakened with use. And while I do like the videos I chose where I began with my own understanding of neuroplasticity, there is more research now to take our understanding a bit deeper and add some more meaning to this idea. And I don't want to go down a rabbit hole either because I'm trying to show us how we can use this concept ourselves today. But if you want to learn more about how this concept works, you can watch a phenomenal lesson from the incredible Sal Khan from the Khan Academy, and I'll put the link in the show notes for that. But I had to start with Dr. Andrew Huberman here, since there's no one else I know who can make science simple and easy to use. He's got a short clip where he explains neuroplasticity through Rich Roll's podcast, And that was recent from May 26 of 2023. He explains if we want to learn anything new, like a new skill in a sport, or subtract an emotion, or build a greater range of an emotion, that we follow these two steps. The first step to neuroplasticity from Dr. Huberman's research is to recognize that you first of all want to change something. 
And this first step almost knocked me out of my chair when I was learning it because we've just covered Dr. Carolyn Leaf's five steps to cleaning up our mental mess, and it's centered around identifying a toxic thought that we want to change. With Dr. Leaf's protocol, you go through this five-step process that conceptualizes the thought or emotion that you want to eliminate, and by working through the issue over a 63-day period, the toxic thought or emotion you don't want gets weaker, and you build new, stronger, healthier thoughts or emotions in its place. And it's not like slapping a Band-Aid on something that's bothering you and pretending it's not there. You actually have to work through the emotions of this toxic thought, pulling an origin story of where you think it came from out of your non-conscious mind and into your conscious mind where this thought eventually holds less emotional charge for you. And Dr. Leaf calls this mind management. Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about this concept as the first step of neuroplasticity. He even talks about someone who approached him while he was speaking, who said that his voice reminded her of someone else's and made her feel uncomfortable. If you speak to audiences, you'll relate to this one. There's always someone whose face looks like they aren't with you. And while I've been presenting, I would look out at the crowd, and in my early days, I'd find someone and I would think, oh boy, that person doesn't like what I'm saying. But that's just my perception coming through, which isn't always the case. Well, this person in the crowd really did approach Dr. Huberman, and when she called the thing she wanted to change to her consciousness, which was how Dr. Huberman's voice was making her feel, She turned it all around and she told him, just by telling you that, your voice became more tolerable. And of course, Dr. Huberman douses us with a deeper understanding of the scientific side of this idea. And he says this awareness is a remarkable thing because it cues our brain and the rest of our nervous system that when we engage in those reflexive actions moving forward, like our toxic thinking or something we want to change, that those reflective actions moving forward are no longer fated to be reflexive. And this is huge when it comes to wanting to change our brain or pay attention to emotion that we don't want or even add a new skill because we just need to pay attention to whatever it is we want to change. And in step two, Dr. Huberman says once we've paid attention that there are two chemicals, neuromodulators that are released from different parts in our brain. And he says that alertness alone is not sufficient for neuroplasticity and that the most important thing for getting plasticity or this brain change we want is that there must be epinephrine, which equates to alertness, and the release of the neuromodulator acetylcholine for focus and mental alertness. He says that the thalamus in the brain gets bombarded by sensory input all the time. But when we pay attention to something, we create a cone of attention with this acetylcholine that amplifies the signal of what I'm paying attention to, making the signal greater to everything else amidst it. He says the signal-to-noise ratio goes up in the thalamus of the brain, and engineers would understand this. Well, I'm not an engineer, but I completely understood this. This idea took me back to when I was working in the seminar industry, where many of my examples draw back to. And I had just finished working with the teens who presented their work on stage, and I was sitting in a loud place with someone else I was working with. 
And he looked at me in the middle of while we're talking about something. And he said, hey, do you hear that? And now this was over 25 years ago. And I still remember this conversation like it was yesterday. I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? And he said, listen, if you listen carefully, you can hear Prince's little red Corvette playing off in the distance. And to listen, I had to focus and create what Dr. Huberman said was this cone of attention. And now I know that the neuromodulator acetylcholine was flooding my brain so the signal to noise would go up and I could hear the song. It was a crazy experience because without the focus, we both would have missed it. He started to bring in how we needed to create this level of focus for the goals that we're working on, and it's now a conversation that I'll never forget. So how have others changed their brain using neuroplasticity? I first learned about Barbara Aerosmith Young while researching for a Brain Fact Friday in episode 129 because she was a case study in Dr. Norman Deutsch's book, The Brain That Changes Itself. Dr. Deutsch is a Canadian scientist, medical doctor, and psychiatrist who was one of the researchers who put neuroplasticity on the map. And he dedicated a whole chapter in his book to Barbara's story, and he called it Building Herself a Better Brain, which is exactly what she did. You can read Barbara's book, The Woman Who Changed Her Brain, that's now in its third edition. And I've heard Dr. Daniel Amen say over and over again that you're not stuck with the brain you have. You can be empowered to change it for the better. And Barbara Aerosmith Young did just that and so much more because of what she built for others to change their brain. Her story blew me away. You can revisit our episode and read her story in Dr. Deutsch's book and learn why he said that she was truly heroic, on par with the achievements of Helen Keller. Barbara was determined to change her brain, and now that I have Dr. Huberman's formula, it makes sense to me how she did it. And what about others who've changed their brain? We recently covered Dr. Leaf's Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess book for adults and children, and her five-step process is really neuroplasticity in action. While writing this episode, I saw an Instagram post that she put up that says, you can't stop anxiety by trying not to be anxious. Like Dr. Huberman said, the first step alone is not enough of knowing what you want to change. You stop anxiety by allowing the feelings... Dr. Huberman said, draw them to your consciousness while understanding it's a transient sensory experience and a warning signal to do something different. And it's not a permanent reflection of you and your reality. It's the understanding that helps to eliminate the negative toxic thinking. I've noticed that sometimes saying what we want to eliminate is enough. Like when we've written things out on our crap board that I've talked about in the past, where we write about our conflicts, our resistances, our anxieties, and our problems. Or like the person who said to Dr. Huberman that your voice no longer makes me uneasy. But we've got to remember that for some things, we'll need a bit more attention for long-term change to occur. And the five-step approach that Dr. Leaf suggests is a scientifically proven way to change our brain. And I can tell you, it will help you to eliminate negative emotions over time once we've decided on what we want to eliminate and we've done the work. So now using this research, here's three steps for changing your brain. Step number one, 
Use neuroscience to bring in the focus to whatever it is that you want to learn, triggering neuroplasticity. Is it an emotion you want to eliminate or one you'd like to amplify? Do you want to learn a new skill? Whatever it is, you'll need to focus your mind as you're implementing the new skill. And I have a whole new take now of what focus looks like. It's what I had to do in New Orleans to hear Little Red Corvette playing in the background, making the signal to noise go up so I could actually hear the song. As I'm now focusing, I know that epinephrine is released for focus, and I'm creating a cone of attention with acetylcholine that's acting like a spotlight to what I want to focus on, enhancing neuroplasticity in the process. Does this understanding now help you to see how we can all change our brain with thought or activity alone? Tip number two is to use the tools you were born with. I used to watch my mom, who we met on episode 300. She would focus her eyes when I asked her a question. It was like she was diving into the depths of her mind to find the answer. Then I heard Dr. Huberman say that you can use your visual focus as a way to increase your mental focus abilities more broadly. And I noticed that I do exactly the same thing as my mom now when I'm focusing on something that I'm trying to picture in my mind's eye. And tip three is supplement sleep, mindfulness, and meditation. What else could we do to put ourselves in the best mode for changing our brain since we know we've got to find the focus? The most common tool most of us will use is caffeine to increase our alertness, and coffee is one way to do this. Now, I'm always looking at what's new in this area, and I'm open to ideas and suggestions from you if you found something other than coffee to increase your focus. And we also know that mastering sleep so we're more rested with more capacity in the day will help with our focus, increasing our ability for neuroplasticity to take place. I've mentioned my world changed when I started taking Qualius Analytics. It's a neurotropic supplement from our interview with Dr. Greg Kelly from Neurohacker Collective. I noticed that I seem more locked in while I'm working with crystal clear mental clarity. And mindfulness and meditation are scientifically proven strategies to increase our focus. And while reviewing our most listened to YouTube interviews, I wasn't surprised to see that our interview with Dr. Dawson Church, the author of the book, Bliss Brain, is now our most listened to interview, and he dives deeper into the science of meditation. What tools, strategies, or supplements do you use for increased focus? So to review and conclude the review of episode 133 with a deeper dive into applying neuroplasticity to learn something new, we covered... What is neuroplasticity, the brain and nervous system's ability to change itself, and how to use this incredible feature of our nervous system for anything we want to learn, get rid of an emotion we don't want, build new emotions, or learn new skills. We looked at the two steps that Stanford professor Dr. Andrew Huberman suggests that we understand in order to change our brain. Step one, the first step to neuroplasticity is to recognize that you want to change something. And I'll say, know yourself. What do you want to change? If you're here listening, I'm sure you're like me, always working on something to improve, whether it's cleaning up our mind for improved mental health or learning something new that could take our physical health to new heights. 
Learning definitely is a process, and if each year we can improve ourselves a bit more, we're on the right track. We've covered Dr. Leaf's five steps for cleaning up our mental mess recently, and I must say that once we begin to change our brain, that it's work. I'm now on day 21 out of 63 days, working on my fourth time cycling through my toxic thinking, and it requires time and effort in addition to just wanting this change. And Barbara Aerosmith Young didn't just wish she could change her brain. She repeatedly did what she needed to do for this change to occur. In step two, we learned that alertness alone is not sufficient for neuroplasticity. We need two chemicals, neuromodulators, epinephrine for alertness, and acetylcholine for focus. Don't forget, we create a cone of attention with acetylcholine that amplifies the signal that we're paying attention to, making the signal greater to everything else amidst it, and epinephrine is released for alertness in this process. So here, know thyself. How do you create focus? For me, sitting down and writing these episodes requires the most brain power I've ever used. I'm learning new ideas and then thinking of how to share them so that others can benefit and use them as well. What's motivating me is that what I'm learning really is changing my life. One year at a time, I can see how what I'm learning about the brain and how to use it is making me a stronger, more improved 2.0 version of myself. Whether it's learning about neuroplasticity or how our brain works while we're swimming in the ocean, anything new that I'm uncovering here keeps me coming back to my desk week after week to uncover something else to share. And I hope my excitement for this connection to science comes through, creating that cone of attention and acetylcholine in your brain that's needed to implement this idea in your life. And finally, step three, we looked at supplements, sleep, mindfulness, and meditation. And I found certain supplements for focus and mental clarity work well, in addition to getting enough sleep so that I can think and make connections with what I'm learning, but we'll all have our own path of finding our optimal levels of focus. So to know thyself, what works for you? This has been a process of self-discovery for me over the years, trying new tools and then measuring the results, and then I share them with you here on the podcast. I knew that my sleep could be improved four years ago. And while research says, although the primary function or functions of sleep are still not understood, evidence suggests a strong relationship between sleep and plasticity. Sleep loss leads to impairment in the plastic process of learning and memory. So I'm taking the science to heart and working on this with as many tools and protocols as I can uncover. Since we know that deep sleep is when your cells regenerate and your muscles repair themselves, and REM sleep is key to processing new memories, learning, and motor skills, improving and measuring this area will always be what I'm focused on. And with that thought, I'll end this episode with a quote from Dr. Andrew Huberman, whose research really did help me to dive deeper into how we can change our brain using this concept that we still don't know a lot about. He says, neuroplasticity knows no bounds. It's a lifelong journey of growth, learning, and personal transformation. 
I know in two years, I'll be back to dive deeper into ways we can continue to change our brain even further as new discoveries in science are made. And I hope you'll be with me here to apply them. And with that thought, I'll see you next week. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episode. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 